not only the medical and what your rights are and getting you the access to services. Transportation is another huge barrier. Trying to get to the doctor's appointments on a regular basis, um, especially if you have other children and knowing if it's you know, one parent taking care of, uh, you know, more than one child um, at home during the day and trying to utilize a bus system to get, you know, to your medical appointments. Transportation is a barrier. Um, there are a lot of things that um, go into navigating um, a healthy um, a healthy pregnancy, and we want to try and eliminate, and eliminate as many barriers as possible. Welcome to the With You at Every Step podcast. We address your healthcare questions and help you navigate life's challenges. Our guests share their expertise and real-world advice related to care for older adults, grief and healing, and pregnancy and parenting. Every Step is a nonprofit healthcare and human services organization offering dozens of programs that are there when people need us most. Learn more about our free and low-cost services at everystep.org. Thank you for listening. Here is our host, Holly Carver-Kim. Welcome to With You at Every Step, where we try to answer some of your questions about uh, healthcare issues in Iowa, in central Iowa specifically, um, and also issues that are affecting uh, the people that we serve and maybe some of the people you know in your community as well. So we have Jen Groves with us today. She's the Vice President of Community Health Services here at Every Step. And Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Polly. We're very glad to have you here. And we wanted to talk a little bit about maternal health because we see in the headlines a lot um, about the the challenges with maternal health, particularly in Iowa, um, concerning maternal mortality. And so um, I guess just to begin with, could you kind of paint a picture of what maternal health encompasses and and uh, the kind of things that bring a woman to a successful outcome with the birth of a child, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, really, when we're talking about maternal health care, um, there's some specific times that we think about. We think about the um, antepartum or the pregnancy period. We think about um, the delivery and then then sometimes that newborn phase for the kiddo and that postpartum phase for um, the birthing parent usually typically mom. We really at every step um, through a various variety of grants and educational opportunities really think about maternal or um, child that childbearing period in healthcare as much longer. Um, we start to think about um, child spacing and things like that, even preconception. Um, we think about, obviously, we have a slew of services that um, are able to support families during the pregnancy and then directly after birth and postpartum. But really that postpartum postpartum period, traditionally we think of maybe six weeks post-delivery. Um, what we're finding now is that some of the worst health, co- health outcomes occur for folks up to a year after delivery. And so really looking at that expanded postpartum period um, is going to be something that's essential when we're talking about um, successful births and maternal health outcomes, as well as some of the biggest barriers. Well, so what are the, uh, that that shocked me, the the statement about a year after the birth of a child. What are some of the uh, the outcomes or the things that, that can go wrong a year after a baby's born? Absolutely. So if we're thinking about, first of all, pregnancy-related deaths, which it's such an awful, um, tragic statistic to even have to think about. 
But it's one of the things that is very real in Iowa and in central Iowa. We need to talk about what happens, some of those adverse outcomes to be able to make any sort of difference. And so um, statistically, pregnancy related deaths, which would be um, include that year postpartum, 53 percent um, of pregnancy related deaths are seven days to one year after birth. So over half are not during that, the, the actual labor and delivery, that immediacy that happens. It's seven days to 12 months postpartum. And um, four out of five of those pregnancy related deaths had been um, said by medical professionals to be avoidable. Um, things like hemorrhage and um, cardiac events. Um, but actually, unfortunately, um, the main uh, cause is uh, mental health conditions. So 23% of pregnancy-related deaths are due to um, something related to a mental health crisis, up and in including suicide. We're really coming more into a, a place now where we understand uh, that postpartum depression. Um, you know, for years and years, oh, you got the baby blues and, and it would kind of be, you know, brushed off that way. But um, and, you know, sometimes it is just, a, you know, a fleeting thing. But uh, it can be extremely serious. And um, I don't remember, of course, it's been a while since I had children, but I don't remember the doctor asking me how I felt emotionally after I gave birth or even in the, you know, the, the pediatrician in the first 12 months of checkups. Um, is that something that uh, obviously every step is very concerned about that? Are we seeing a turn towards that more now? We are. I mean, one of the critical barriers um, to maternal health care, especially in the postpartum period, is um, access to that medical um, insurance. And so one of the things that we do for um, our families in every step in, in every step through our Title V grant in our community is to be able to provide presumptive eligibility um, for Medicaid. And what that is, is it's um, short term, immediate Medicaid that goes into effect when you have different conditions and pregnancy is one of those one of those conditions. Um, it means that you can get presumptive eligibility done by one of our staff um, and immediately that day have access to met full Medicaid benefits. When that presumptive eligibility is determined, that gets um, that pregnant woman medical services right there and then. They have access to their full Medicaid benefits on that day while the rest of the system figures out if long-term Medicaid is going to be an option. Um, not only do we provide that day of service and Medicaid eligibility, presumptive Medicaid has much different um, funding levels than traditional Medicaid. So where traditional Medicaid, you would have it with 133% of the federal poverty level, which means a family of three can earn no more than $33,000 a year. With pregnancy and the presumptive eligibility, that's 375% of the federal poverty level, which means a family of three can earn up to $93,000 a year and still be eligible. Because we know that prenatal health care and getting into a doctor quickly and having that insurance is critical for health outcomes for not only the child, but for mom. That is really important. That's an important thing for women to hear, well, pregnant people to hear is that that is available to them where you might, I, you know, I never would have dreamed that. I had no idea. We have so many folks that we work with or we're out doing community outreach and they say, well, we don't qualify for Medicaid. But when you're pregnant, that having that almost triple that um, eligibility criteria, it will cover so many 
more folks than maybe that traditional Medicaid would. And the reason is because I always looked around and said, this is such a key time um, in, you know, just for the growth and health and well-being of families in Iowa. We need to make sure that we've got folks that are lined up with the best prenatal care. And then that Medicaid serves that family through that just initial postpartum period. And that's kind of the kicker when we're talking about then what happens in that longer postpartum period and what a barrier is. We only have six weeks postpartum on that Medicaid if a family isn't eligible for the full range of benefits. And so where a child is born and may may be eligible for, for full Medicaid, that mother may not. And so that, so getting past that traditional um, medical appointment post-pregnancy, it'll get them through that. But then after that, and we're seeing obviously those statistics, 53% of deaths happen after, you know, seven to one year. If there's not medical um, care because there's not medical insurance, then that's going to that's going to mean there's a whole group of folks out there that just aren't getting that routine follow up. So, so is this something then that needs to be advocated for on a legislative level? Yes. And there have been in the past several bills, and I'm hoping that they'll continue to be um, you know, introduced into the state legislature about expanding that postpartum period to 12 months. That seems pretty important, especially given the statistics that that you've cited. It's incredibly important. What are some of the, uh, you know, that you've, we've got this great benefit available to uh, people who are expecting a baby. Um, what are some of the barriers to accessing that or finding out about it or getting enrolled? Um, I'm imagining there's a lot. The first one that comes to my mind are language barriers. Uh, perhaps they, they're not a fluent English speaker and that's how they have missed out on it. Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the things that um, we're able to do as an organization is we are a qualified entity, which means we can enroll folks in that in um, in that presumptive eligibility. Um, and we also um, are seen in the community and and you know within our own space as being um, providing culturally uh, competent or cultural uh, providing services with cultural humility, which means we know that folks are going to learn, grow, and be well best when they are given information in their in a language that's understandable and most comfortable for them. And so we do do our best to make sure that we have, if we don't have staff in person that are able to speak that language, um, we make sure that we have interpretation available to be able to serve anyone who should come to us, whether that's internally through our Every Step Interpretation programs that serve anywhere from 24 to 27 languages, or we rely on telephonic um, interpretation lines for some of those languages or dialects that just we just may not have capacity for. But currently our our primary person doing our presumptive eligibility is bilingual in English and Spanish. And so that's incredibly helpful. You know, I've had the privilege of attending some of our childbirth classes that that we provide. And there are always uh, people in there who do not speak English. And they have one of our interpreters right next to them. Um, you know, speaking to them in their native language uh, about whatever is being said on the screen or the instructor is saying. Um, and it never fails to amaze me that a lot of these people are coming from countries that have a healthcare system completely different from ours or one that doesn't exist. Um, and the the things that I see them teaching that I think, well, duh, you know, yeah, that's how you have a baby or that's what you look for. Those are the signs of, you know, labor. 
um, are completely new to some of these people because they haven't been in a society like ours where you're kind of taught that, um, hopefully. And uh, it's just really nice to see their eyes brighten and, oh, okay. Oh, I understand. It's a great service we provide. It is as childbirth and pregnancy and postpartum classes are amazing. Not only do they provide um, education, of course, and some navigation of really complex, you know, confusing systems. If you think about just our healthcare system in general, it's difficult. And with health insurance and all of those things, it's difficult for someone who's a native English speaker was born in the United States to navigate. Um, I, I, I absolutely can't imagine going and, um, you know, being in Afghanistan and having to navigate uh, a, a health system, especially um, after having some, you know, being here potentially as a refugee and having trauma. Um, even if you've had, you did have babies in your, in your home country, this system w- would be very different than a lot of the refugee and immigrants that we're welcoming into our community. And so having um, not only that interpretation, but having uh, a liaison to help not only the native English speakers and folks who've lived in in this community for their whole lives um, be able to, they help us navigate that system too. What are the things we really, the practical things that we really need to be educating on? Not only the medical and what your rights are and getting you the access to services, transportation is another huge barrier. Trying to get to the doctor's appointments on a regular basis, um, especially if you have other children and knowing if it's, you know, one parent taking care of, uh, you know, more than one child, um, at home during the day and trying to utilize a bus system to get, you know, to your medical appointments. Transportation is a barrier. Um, there are a lot of things that um, go into navigating um, a healthy um, a healthy pregnancy. And we want to try and eliminate, eliminate as many barriers as possible. Well, and if we're talking about maternal health and maternal mortality, we have to talk about Black maternal mortality <clears throat> because Iowa has an unfortunate distinction of having a very high rate above Black maternal mortality. Um, why are the challenges so much stronger for Black women in Iowa to have a healthy pregnancy and a healthy baby? We know that Black women who are pregnant have higher instances of high blood pressure um, or preeclampsia during pregnancy. We know there is greater risk for hemorrhage. Um, there are all sorts of reasons, medical reasons, um, that are going into those discrepancies. Ultimately, systemic racism is the root of a lot of those causes. And so one of our goals in at every step is to be able to impact that maternal mortality rate by addressing the health disparities. And one of the, well, many of the ways that we're doing that is around um, culturally or racially competent care and very specific with specific targeted um, interactions. Uh, some of those would be our Black and Birthy class. So a class that that curriculum and um, facilitation is all done by um, Black birthing educators and folks who really not only know the the health care and the medical side of things, but also know what it's like to be Black and pregnant. We have a Black doula program where we pair um, Black pregnant folks with a certified doula who is also um, of African descent or Black identified. That gives them not only access to someone um, 
that looks like them, that can ha- has some of those same experiences, but it also um, gives some insight into those specific healthcare needs and the things that folks need to be looking at and maybe rising to the attention um, of medical professional medical professionals more quickly. And it's also a doula service is an incredible pairing with that pregnant person. It really is that person's, um, you know, once you're in labor and you deliver and that baby is born, so much focus goes on to that infant and that the, the and the newborn, someone in that that doula is there for mom during the entire process. And having that educator and that advocate there, there's nothing that's quite like that. And to have that in a culturally competent space, um, just nationally has shown to reduce some of those mortality levels. And talking about the advocacy role of the doula, <clears throat> that's one of the things that has struck me. It's uh, some of the clients that we've worked with have said, you know, they, they wouldn't listen to me. I'm I'm in the labor delivery room and then they weren't listening to me. But my doula was able to advocate for me because they're in the throes of labor. All right. Um, and maybe have not had the experience of being heard before by a medical professional. And that's why I think one of the, in my opinion, uh, is just one of the key things that the doula program really provides for these, these parents. It is that the advocacy, not only on by the doula on behalf of the birthing person, but also, um, the work with the doula, the work with the nurses, the work with the case managers, the work of, you know, that that participant has with every, in every place that every step touches them. Not only will there be that education and that external support, but it, there will also be um, this push for that, that person to know that they intrinsically know themselves and their bodies and their families the best. And so with that intrinsic knowledge, we can help, we can coach, we can, um, lead and and mentor but ultimately the goal is to make sure that that person that mom that woman that birthing person understands that they know themselves and their body and their family the best and their their voice should be enough but until we get to that point where that they're being heard loudly and clearly then we're going to just surround them and, and speak in one united voice as much as we can Jen, you are a wealth of information, and I know we're going to have you on the program again because there's so many topics. And well, and every step does so much in regards to maternal health and child health and and healthy families and and healthy dads. And we have a ton to talk about, so I can't wait to have you on again. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Uh, Jen Groves has been our guest today, talking about. Uh, some of the barriers to maternal health and and especially in regards to labor and delivery. If you have any questions about uh, what we talked about today or you're interested in that uh, that Medicaid presumptivity, I think would be the way to say it, um, we'd love to hear from you. Just go to our website, everystep.org slash care, C-A-R-E. So go to everystep.org slash care and there will be a... a form for you to fill out no commitment um and we can we can see what we can do to help you out too uh that's with you at every step and i thank you for joining us i'm polly carver kim 